the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. God had been preparing the children of Israel to enter into the Promised Land, but once they entered and dwelt in the land, They were to continue to love God above all else and do what God had commanded them to do. The Israelites were to be a unique people, different from the surrounding nations. They were to be different in how they treated their neighbors, foreigners, the employees and employers, even their spouse. We continue to look at how their interactions were to reflect God's holy nature as we join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14. You know, when you read through these things, you have to chuckle sometimes because you think, God, why did you even have to say that? And in a perfect world, none of these verses would be necessary, right? Like we wouldn't need to be told these things. We would just treat each other the way we're supposed to. So when we look at some of these laws and passages in the Old Testament, particularly the law of Moses, some address pretty crazy situations. Some refer to things that we all already know to do. Since we live in a fallen world, a broken world, We live in one that's far from good or perfect like God initially created it. We need reminders. We need to address some crazy situations. And so as Moses does so for the nation of Israel in these passages here, you know, may we see the principles behind them. So our attitudes and our behaviors line up with God's standards. We've seen in our study of Deuteronomy that, you know, Moses has been telling the people of Israel, you need to love God supremely with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In light of that, how do we do that? We express that love, we show that love through our obedience. And so he tells them, these are the statutes, these are the judgments, these are the commands of God. This is God's will, this is God's heart, these are his standards. That's what we've been learning about. And so as Moses, he he shares these things, you know, we are going to see principles that affect our attitudes and our behavior so we do line up with God's standards. And while that's not going to fix our broken world, we can live as good as possible. It's still not going to fix our broken world. It will allow us to shine Jesus more brightly in the darkness. And that's a good thing, right? So chapter 24, we got all the way through verse 13 two weeks ago. So we're going to pick it up in verse 14 tonight, Deuteronomy 24, 14. Now here we see in a perfect world, in the way that God would want things to be, how we should treat our employees. He says in verse 14, you shall not oppress a hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of your brethren, in other words, a fellow Israelite, or of the strangers, they're strangers that are in your land within your grates, or a foreigner who's living in your land. At his day, you shall give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and he sets his heart upon it, lest he cry against you unto the Lord, and it be sin unto you. We see here that the initial statement is, you shall not oppress a hired servant that is poor. The word there, oppress, means to exploit the disadvantaged or to mistreat the disadvantaged. In this case, it would be a contracted worker, a hired worker, and it mentions who is poor and needy. Poor means they have low status, low political power in society. In other words, they don't have a whole lot of say. 
in their lives. Needy, it means someone who must live sparingly, someone who has very little finances. So it's, it's both those things. Not only are they poor, but because of their situation, they have very little influence, very little say in what happens in their lives. And he says, when you contract someone like that to work for you, he says, do not take advantage of them. Do not mistreat them. We do work on a contractual basis, not like they did. We're going to get into that in verse 15. But our work, we contract we're with our bosses where we say for every day we'll get usually paid this hour for, or for this two weeks we get paid this salary, or for this month you get paid this salary, whatever, or this year you get paid this salary, and this is what you'll agree to do on that basis. And frequently you'll be handed, this is your job description, job responsibilities, and when you apply for the job. And so when you take the job, you're signing up for those responsibilities, and they're agreeing to give you this kind of pay. In a situation where someone has specific needs, where they are poor and needy, God points out, especially them, don't take advantage of them. Don't exploit them. Don't mistreat them. Now, verse 15, specifically, it says, at his day. In other words, when his day of work is done, you shall give him his hire, his wages. Neither shall the sun go down upon it. Don't give him his wages the next day, for he is poor and he sets his heart on it. Literally, it means he needs it to cover his daily expenses. And so this is where we see the difference maybe with our society. Most of us don't work contractually for a day. Like most of us don't take a job where we don't know if we'll have that same job the next day. Most of us work under a little bit more peaceful situations where we don't have to worry so much about whether we're going to have a job the next day. We're going to have to find a new job every day. But in that culture, hired work was a unique thing. Most people worked their own land, particularly if you're in Israel, everyone owned land. So everyone was able to work their own land. The only people who are working usually are people who are in debt, people who, or for whatever reason, don't have the ability to work their land or need to you know, make up extra money. So these folks would be coming out into the marketplace where they would all hang out waiting for someone to come down and say, I've got a project I need help with. And then they would contract you for that day where you would go and work. And so there was no, well, go pick up your paycheck in two weeks. First off, that you don't work for two weeks. And secondly, you needed the money today. He needs it for his daily expenses. These are laws for Israel. They're not laws for us. You don't need to contract your business this way. The U.S. has different pay laws that we must abide by. But again, in that culture, the pay schedule was different. Only the most impoverished usually hired themselves out. So holding wages from them was cruel. The idea here is the Lord says, if you do that, lest he cry against you unto the Lord, and then it be sin unto you. That's interesting. I don't want anyone crying to God because of how I've mistreated them, whether it was intentionally or by mistake. I don't want anyone. I don't want anyone at night going, Lord, I don't know how to feed my kids because my boss, Pastor Will, he didn't pay me on time or he cut my pay or he didn't give me all my vacation or he said, you only work to half day, you're only getting half pay, sucker. If you have employees or you're in management, don't be the source of someone's complaint to God. Don't be the source of someone's complaint to God. Go out of your way to find ways to be a blessing to those you lead at work. I've been so blessed in my life. Every boss I've had was amazing. Every boss I've had was amazing to me. They've treated me with respect, with dignity, and with generosity. I remember when I economy crashed and I couldn't find work for a year and a half, had to go back to work, didn't want to go back to Chick-fil-A. I was really proud and got, went back to Chick-fil-A, didn't go back as a GM, just went back as an assistant manager. God gave me a wage that was beyond that role, well beyond that role for what I was doing. I was a glorified cashier and God took care of me. And then I remember one time my boss came to me of all people. I was kind of new and he came to me and he said, hey, he goes, you know, Chick-fil-A gives us, you know, these Rock the Universe tickets, whatever. And one of my favorite bands was playing there. One of my son's favorite bands was playing there. And and, and he said, hey, you know, you, you, want, you want to take somebody with you? And me and my son went to go do that. He, he didn't have to think about me. He didn't have to do that for me. And, and I've, had, I've had that my whole life. I've had bosses who were just 
very generous to me, very generous. They may have had shortcomings in other areas, but they were very generous to me and my family. That same store, my family would come in, and they didn't know our financial situation. They would come in, and they wouldn't let us pay. They wouldn't, I've got a big family, and they wouldn't let them pay. they just take care of them. My wife would go through the drive through and they just take care of them. Blew me away. And this guy wasn't even necessarily a believer. If you have employees or you're in management, go out of your way to find ways to bless those that you lead at your work. That is a principle that still applies. Now we get down to verse 16 and we see here an interesting thought. This is how we should treat our enemies. He says, the father shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. What's interesting is like divorce, Egypt kind of taught Israel to adopt a scorched earth approach to dealing with your rivals. Take no prisoners, no mercy, you wipe them out. It was the norm when you were wronged to make everyone associated with that person pay for it as revenge and warning to everyone else out there not to mess with you. And that's the idea here. This isn't a legal situation where he's telling, hey, the son doesn't pay for the sins of the father. No, no, no. This is a personal situation where Moses is telling people, listen, you don't make other people pay because you've got a grievance with somebody. You don't make their other family members pay. Jesus, he taught us to love our enemies, to pray for them, and to do good to them. And in some cases, we may need to seek judicial help to stop an enemy from harming us. When that happens, our goal must be to stop evil, not to just get rid of our problem. Those associated with that person shouldn't have to pay for their relative or their friend's crimes or their business partner's crimes. Christians should never be scorched earth people. You'll find no such attitude anywhere in the New Testament. And the principle is found here in the Old Testament. As I mentioned earlier, you know, is it okay to seek judicial help to keep someone from practicing evil against you or harming you? Of course it is. That's why they exist. The Bible says that's why God put those people in authority. But revenge is for the Lord. It's not for us. I remember trying to remember where it was, I was young. I was a very new believer. I was probably in high school. And my pastor had a video played on one Sunday night, Wednesday night, can't remember. It was a video of the story. Funny of all things, it was Pastor Chuck was in the video. Didn't even know what Calvary Chapel was back then. But it was a story of a man named Tex. And Tex was part of the Manson crew. And he was part of the individuals who went into those homes of those parents and they killed the parents and stuff. And eventually they went to jail. And you know, Manson, that's what eventually put him in jail was for his involvement with that. I mean, Tex is a murderer. What's fascinating is Tex became a believer because the daughter, the daughter of the man he killed, visited him in the jail. She would visit him, her and her husband would go and visit him in the jail, and they would share the gospel with him. They would, you know, pray for him. They would ask him how he's doing. And through that, he came to Christ and a powerful ministry inside the jail system. That's biblical, right? Like, that's biblical Christianity. That's biblical love. That's biblical treatment of our enemies. Now we move on from treatment of our enemies to the treatment of the disadvantaged in our society. Look at verse 17. It says, you shall not pervert the judgment. The word there means to deny or withhold the legal decision of the stranger, so the foreigner, nor of the fatherless, so the orphan, nor take a widow's clothing as a pledge. If you need collateral for a loan, you are never to take her clothing for that collateral. She probably doesn't have any other clothing. She probably couldn't buy any other clothing. And so he says, you shall not do that, but instead you shall remember that you were a bondman in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this 
thing. Here we see treatment of the disadvantaged via the justice system. For them, it says that they were to consider, to remember that they had been slaves in Egypt. Let me ask you a question. Does it get any lower than that position? No, it doesn't get any lower than the position they had in Egypt. And yet God rescued them. God showed mercy to them. So why would they think that God would want to rescue those who were disadvantaged that were living in their homeland? Sometimes I think we forget that we were slaves to sin before the Lord rescued us. We see someone else out there in bondage to sin. Their lives are a wreck. You know, we see them and they're struggling. They've made bad decisions and their lives are a wreck. And we just think, man, you know, they just wouldn't make those decisions. They'd be in better shape. I go down to Orlando Rescue Mission, beautiful ministry. I go down to the men's house once a month. That whole room is riddled with poor choices bad decision-making, sin, you name it. And for many of those guys, I go down there. I'm not an evangelist. So I go down there and I just teach the Bible. I remember one of the guys who I've been connected with, who, one of the night managers there, a good friend of mine, and become a friend with him over the years. And one time he came to me and said, Pastor, he goes, I listen to you online. He goes, can you just do what you do here? These guys get harangued every night about their sin. Can you just teach them the Bible? And I was like, well, yeah, I can. I'd love to do that. You know, I don't really know how to do anything else. So I'd be happy to do that. And I come down there and, and these guys, you see them and you talk to them and they'll tell you, I'm getting out next week. You know, and I'm so excited. I'm going to get my own apartment. I don't see him again for a month. And hopefully you guys goal is you don't ever see him there again, but then you'll see him there the next month. You know, you think what happened, man? Well, you know, I just made some bad decisions. I'm back. And you know, and there's very little things that you can look at and go, wow, they got out and they're on their feet and they're doing well. But these guys, they come up to me so often with tears in their eyes. Thank you. I haven't heard that kind of love or I haven't, I haven't heard that kind of truth. That was exactly what I needed to hear. I could very easily go down there and think to myself and say, well, I don't even know if what you're doing is any good. Is it really even impacting these people's lives? The truth of the matter is I was a slave to sin before the Lord rescued me. And so if anyone should be compassionate to those who are disadvantaged, it's Christians. It's us. Christians aren't to be xenophobic towards foreigners. We're not to be greedy toward the poor or apathetic to the hurting. We're to be characterized by hospitality and generosity. Polycarp was, oh, they're always trying to hunt him down, always trying to kill him. And so finally they found him one day. And the Lord told him, he said, Polycarp, this is, this is your time. This is your time. And so he was upstairs when the soldiers came. So the soldiers came and they told him. And he, and he came down and he said, listen, he said, I, I will come with you, but I'd like to feed you first. And so he had the folks who were gathered there, had them prepared a meal for the soldiers, fed them. He went with them. He didn't try to get away. He went with them. I'm not saying you should always do that. I'm just saying that's what he felt led to do. But he, they all had a meal together. And then he was led to his execution very shortly thereafter. Some of those soldiers gave their lives to Christ through that. Don't you think his life was worth that? Don't you think God loved them just as much as he loved Polycarp or us or anybody else? Should never be those who look at someone and say, well, you're a threat to me. God forbid. God forbid that we have loyalties, we have passions that run counter to the scripture. God forbid that we would be a people who would be unloving. I'm all for rule of law. My greatest law is Christ. The apostles themselves said, what what do you think would be right for us to obey men or obey God? We have to obey God. Let's be those who obey God. God also set up some practical ways to help these folks out. So not only was there rules to treat them via the justice system, but Moses reminds them to honor their welfare system once they go into the land. Look at verse 19. He says, when you cut down your harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, a sheaf would be a a bundle of tied stalks. So they would break the stalks off and then they'd bundle them up and tie them up and then they would leave them there. And then when they had done all that with all the bundles, they would bring up the bundles and they would bring them to the threshing floor. And so if you happen to forget one of those tied up bundles, the sheaf in the field, he says, you shall not go again to fetch it. He says, it shall be for the stranger, the foreigner, because they don't have any, they don't own 
wedding land. They've literally got to find work every day. It shall be for the fatherless, the orphan. They are too young to work. They don't have any land. And for the widow, they would have land, but they wouldn't be able to work it. Not in the same way they would when you've got somebody there who's got the skill set for it. It says, why? That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. The idea here is that if you realize you forgot something, if it doesn't get to the destination, you're not allowed to go back and get it. You have to leave it for the disadvantaged who don't have their own land or who can't work. And the same holds true if you harvest olives. When you beat your olive tree, the way they do things a little differently than we do it, you know, we have machines that do our work today. But, the, you know, when they had an olive tree, when you, to get the olives off, you would whack it with a stick. And the olives would fall to the ground. And you'd whack it, you know, to get all the olives you could off the thing. And so he says, when you... Whack your olive tree, then you shall not go over the bows again. Don't knock it again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And same thing, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterwards. And when you pull those things of grapes off, if you forget a stack, whatever, don't go back and go get it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And you shall remember that you were a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. It's not that you couldn't whack the tree twice. It just means don't be greedy by obsessing over every tree to ensure you get every olive. And God says, I'll supply their needs and I will bless you in all the work of your hands. You know, one of the things that I was blown away, my very first boss at Chick-fil-A, one of the most generous people I've ever known, you know, he would hire people. It was the weirdest thing. I was the GM, so I was a hiring manager. He was the owner. But I would always consult him for pay because he wanted to know what their needs were before he decided what they would get paid. It was a fascinating thing. He would sit down with them. He'd have a little private meeting as he would, I would say, I think this is a person, a good person to hire. And he would sit down with them and he'd say, what's, what's your situation? So he'd hire single moms that had you know, multiple kids, whatever. And he didn't want them working a second job. And he would pay them way more sometimes he'd pay other people. He, he'd find out what their needs were and he would try to meet them at a wage that would help them meet their family's needs. Blew me away. I learned from him what it meant to be, be generous. Now he would take it out on the teenagers. He'd pay a minimum wage every time. But... <laughs> He said, they, he said, they need to learn the lesson of hard work. So, you know, you take it out on them. But, but you know, it blew me away because I'd, I'd never experienced that before. Never experienced it afterwards. And so, you know, the idea here was, is he wasn't trying to suck every penny he could out of the life of the store, you know, to pull every ounce of whatever he could get, every bit of income out. And he was a hard worker, man. He was a hard boss in the sense that he expected people to work hard and do their job. And he, he wanted to be successful. And you know what? He was. I watched us take a little teeny tiny store in the mall that couldn't barely do nothing, had a bad owner previously, and we flourished, man. We were so successful, they gave us our own store. We, in fact, the store in Winter Park, I helped build that store right, right off there off Forsyth. We opened that place together. God blessed that one too. We, were, we had favor. It was a cool thing to watch God do. God can take care of your needs easily. So be generous to those who are disadvantaged. You help take care of them. He'll promise us he'll take care of you. God gives two reasons why they're to have this welfare system. I already told you one, because God's blessing rests upon the work of those who are generous. The Bible says, you know, you give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give unto your bosom, right? That's what I want in my life. So God says, you know, my blessing rests upon those who are generous. But secondly, he said that they need to remember where they came from. They're not intrinsically better than the disadvantaged because that's their past. They were the disadvantaged at one point. And so we need to not hold on greedily to what we have, but be generous and to remember where we came from. You know, let's be those who have open hands so we can be a blessing to those who are right around us who have needs. Now we get here to chapter 25 and we get to treatment of criminals. And this does have a judicial side to it. It says, if there be a controversy between men, if there's a quarrel or dispute between men, and they come into judgment, they come to the court, he says, 
that the judges may judge in, so they can decide, adjudicate the matter and decide who is innocent, who's guilty. He says, then they shall justify the righteous. They will pronounce innocent the innocent person, and they shall condemn the wicked. They will declare the criminal or the transgressor, the guilty person, guilty. Now, I love this because it's simple, and it seems like it should be a no-brainer, right? But how many times has our own justice system struggled to do this simple task? I'll be blunt, I don't have a lot of compassion for those who go, well, you just pulled me over because of this reason. You wouldn't have gotten pulled over if you weren't speeding. I don't care what the color of your skin is, sorry. That's the reality of it. The Bible says if you obey the law, you don't have anything to fear. You say, yeah, but some people have to fear even when they do obey the law. I get that, I get that, and that's wrong too. You know what my first reaction is when I I get pulled over and I've done something wrong? I get my license, I get my registration. And I say, God, I'd really like some mercy now, but I know what I deserve. I don't give that guy a hard time. I've wondered what it's like to be an officer sometimes and not know. You might pull up, you know, to somebody's window and who knows how they might react. I, I don't know if I have the courage to do something like that. I found myself in situations, not here at this building, but in, in other places where, where I was pastoring, where I had one time, I had a guy pull a switchblade on me and there was nobody else in the building. Teeny tiny church. I was the only one on staff, only one working there. And he's in my back office. Like, no, no one will hear you scream. We're in this little teeny tiny office, probably half the size of that sound booth back there. And I'm challenging him on his marriage about being a godly husband. And he goes into his pocket and pulls out a switchblade. And I'm thinking to myself, I have no clue what's going to happen now, but I've got to tell this man the truth. Now he just started messing with his nails because that's the kind of guy he was. (laughs) But the thought came to me, maybe I'll go a little bit easier but I didn't because I don't answer that man. It's a no-brainer. You say the right thing. My life is in his hands. You do the right thing. You declare the innocent person innocent. You declare the guilty person guilty. God wanted the nation of Israel to handle this simply. Now, while that is an important point here, that's not why Moses brings up this topic. Verses two and three is why he brings up this topic because he wants to show us how we treat the guilty, the criminal. He says, and it shall be If the criminal man be worthy to be beaten, literally it means to be a son of stripes. I think that's a fascinating way to say it. Like my son, my children, my boys, my girls. Well, I will have girls, but my boys and my girl, my daughter. They were no mistake. They were produced from from me and my wife. They came from our DNA. They came from the fact that we got married and, and we decided we wanted to have a family. And God did the miracle of birth and kids came. They were the product of our union, our marriage. And so when we talk about the son of stripes, it's the idea something was birthed. You did something and something was birthed. And so the idea here, that one who's worthy to be beaten, that was the title conferred upon the guilty person when the verdict was given because it identified them as someone whose crime deserved a public whipping. Now, when that was the case, when that was to be the penalty, here was how you should treat them. It says, the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face. He can't go away. According to his fault, by a certain number. Forty stripes he may give him and not exceed, lest if he should exceed and beat him above these with many stripes, then your brother should seem vile unto you. The idea was the judge had to stay. He couldn't just give the judgment and walk away and not have to see it. He had to stay there to see that this is a person that this punishment was being inflicted upon, this judgment was being given to. He was there to ensure the whipping wasn't administered with favoritism or cruelty or in excess of what he was sentenced with. Forty lashes were to be given and no more than that, lest you would look at your brother and see him as vile. The phrase means to treat him like a nobody. No one should be treated like a nobody, not even a criminal. 
40 lashes was the worst whipping a man could receive because every human being has dignity. Now that's why even the worst sinner, even the worst sinner, shouldn't be screamed at or cursed at or called derogatory names. God created that person. He loves that person. And he came to earth to die for that person just the same as for you. So no matter what they've done or what they're still doing, that's who they are to God. What they are doing may be disgusting to the Lord and we don't compromise that. But they are not disgusting to him. I can't think of anything more disgusting than what was done to Jesus on the cross. And yet his words show his heart. What did he say as they were nailing him? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I want to ask you a question this evening. Is that your heart towards those who act wickedly? Lord, just forgive them. Everyone is important in God's eyes. The most famous Bible verse in the world says God so loved the world. Every soul is a precious image bearer of God. Nothing takes that away, not even the sin of their own choices. God is merciful and just. We ought to be people that deal compassionately and mercifully, even when handing out judgment. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.